Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. In the 1990s, John F. Kennedy Jr. was one of the most famous people in the United States, the son of the late, great, assassinated President John F. Kennedy. He founded the Politics Meets Pop Culture magazine, George. He was happily married and was followed by photographers wherever he went. But no one knew much about him. He was a very private man and gave nothing away. Rosemary Terenzio, on the other hand, knew almost everything about him. She was his personal assistant, publicist, and one of his closest friends. When John died in a plane crash, Rosemary's world also came crashing down. She's now written a book called Fairy Tale Interrupted, a memoir of life, love, and loss, which is already a New York Times bestseller. Rosemary, welcome to Open House. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure. Thank you. As I said, Rosemary, you are one of the few people who knew the real John F. Kennedy Jr. What words would you use to describe him? He was smart. He was extremely uh, well-mannered. And he was a very empathetic person, I would say. What many people would have imagined being a fairy tale of working for John, it didn't actually start so smoothly for you. Tell us about that. No, it didn't start smoothly at all. Um, I was actually working at a PR firm that partner uh, was my boss at the time. His partner, Michael Berman, was my boss at the time before he became John's partner, George. And John started coming in and ended up taking over my office, um, which I was very none too happy about. (laughs) And I decided to let him know about that and... I thought, you know, if I just ignored him the rest of the time after he took over my office, I was not nice to him about it. I let him know that he was, you know, I thought he was nothing but an entitled brat and how could he come in here and take over my office and who did he think he was and all this sort of, and not really realizing what I was doing because I didn't come from a family that was enamored with the Kennedys. My family were Republicans and we really didn't see him as, a celebrity, I saw him more as a political type. So his surprise, I was I was not impressed. What ended up happening was I ignored him for a few days and then a few more days and then one day he came into my office and said, Good morning, Rose and I had never heard him say my name before. So I looked up kind of startled and he gave me middle finger as they say. That was sort of the beginning of uh, I, I just thought, Wow, he's got a sense of humor. Um so it, it was it startled me into having to talk to him every day, and and from there we actually developed quite a nice friendship. He was a very charismatic figure, and his image to the world was one of uh, a very handsome, dashing man. Yes, he was, and he was all of that. And you could tell that there was a collective mood that would come over a room when he was in it, and you could feel it as soon as he walked in. About a few minutes into it, you could start to feel this oh, wow, the whole entire room's energy is, is, uh, is on him. It just would happen almost instantaneously, no matter what other celebrity was in the room. So it was, it was kind of interesting to see. And also, even, I mean, I remember one time, even at the airport, it seemed like the whole entire airport knew that he was there within 15 minutes. So you go on to be drawn to him despite your earlier attitudes and actions towards him, and then he offers you a job. Yeah, I mean, I was drawn to his sense of humor. I mean, obviously, he was very handsome. There's no denying that. But I was drawn to his sense of humor, and 
you know, he tried to keep a pretty low-key appearance in the office. He just was there to do work and interact with his co-workers. You know, it became sort of a regular kind of day-to-day to have him around. And in the beginning, I didn't, I didn't interact with him initially much outside the office, so it wasn't as obvious to me what, what he, you know, what he kind of commanded in terms of attention outside the office. We hear so much and read so much in the gossip rags about celebrities and public figures, but really never know mm-hmm. what the truth is. So with this celebrity public figure, what was it like being on the other side of that gossip, all the rumours about him? I think for him it became, it was, it was always a part of his life. You know, he never knew it any other way. He wasn't someone who was put upon about it or you know, it, it wasn't overwhelming to him. His fame didn't seem like a burden to him. He sort of took it in stride, and, and most of the time he was like, well, you know, it, it's not so bad for people to want to take your picture and say that you're handsome and want to say nice things about you most of the time. He took it pretty well. He hated getting special treatment because of who he was, because of his name. Yeah, it was not It was just something he didn't really think was necessary. And, and I think that there was also the sense of like, well, when you start that, where do you stop it? And you can't really be an example to people if that's the way you behave. So I think for him it was very important that he be treated like as much as possible, that he be treated like everyone else. Yes. You know, there's also something about celebrities getting special treatment. I know for Carolyn especially, it was more like, no, you know, I, I can afford to pay for that, and I can afford to, to do that on my own, so there's no reason to take advantage of that. So she was very, very aware of that as well. Yes. Did he speak much of his uh, famous president father, and for that matter, his famous mum, Jacqueline Kennedy? I mean, he spoke of them the way we all speak about our parents, but there was not, it really wasn't, this, I, I mean, he definitely spoke about, you know, his mom passing and how hard that was. But I think, you know, for the most part, I mean, he re- referenced them in conversation just like any of us would. There wasn't this sort of special grand conversations about his father or his mother. His wife, Carolyn, you made mention of her, became one of your best friends. What mm-hmm. was it about her that made her feel so special and such a valuable person in your life? She was extremely warm. Um, she was a very caring, empathetic person, but she was also someone who she loved to joke and laugh, and she loved to help, you know, she was sort of a sister right away. She became this, this kind of took-me-under-her-wing uh, big sister kind of person. And Carolyn, I think, was, um, you know, she was very invested in my success. Like, she really wanted me to do well and succeed, and, and that's rare. On Open House, we're with Rosemary Terenzio, the author of Fairy Tale Interrupted. So, Rose, you're on top of the world in life and in your job and in your relationships. Then it all comes crashing down around you. Take us back to that moment when you found out that John and Caroline hadn't arrived in Highness Port for a wedding. I was staying at their apartment that evening because my air conditioning had gone out and John said, you know, you can stay at our place because we're going to be away. Um, So I was staying there, and and I was on the phone with our creative director, Matt Berman, going over some cover ideas that he had for his leaving for L.A. the next morning to shoot Rob Lowe. And the phone, the other line in the house kept ringing, 
And not a lot of people had that number, so I assumed it was either John or Carolyn, and when I ran to get it, it was Carol Radwell, John's cousin, Anthony's wife. And she said, oh, thank God you're there, thinking that I was Carolyn. And I said, Carol, it's Rose. What's going on? Anthony was very sick at the time, so I assumed, you know, that it was something wrong with Anthony, and she said they never landed um, in Martha's Vineyard. And I said, oh, okay, well, they must have gone directly then to Hyannis, and maybe they're going to come to the vineyard, you know, on Sunday. And she said, well, they never landed there either. And I thought, oh, well, then they went somewhere else. I never saw, I mean, it took me a day or two, uh, 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 more than a day, to come to the realization that they weren't coming back. And I think I had to stay in that in that space in order to function because I don't think I could have. I think I would have fallen apart had I had to accept that immediately. And I couldn't afford to do that because I was in the apartment by myself. As you can imagine, the phone started ringing, the media started, you know, collecting outside, and people started collecting outside and leaving flowers and notes and and, and candles and cards and. So it was, it was something that I kind of almost had to be in denial about initially. How did you ultimately deal with it? Um, well, initially I, I behaved as though they were coming back because that was the only way I could get through it. Um, and I, and I, didn't, I just kept going. You know, I just sort of kept answering the phone and dealing with, ta- you know, task, just being a taskmaster, um, uh, an active griever is what they call it, <laughs> I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't really have that, you know, that down uh, until about a few months later when everything had died down and there was nothing more to do. There was nothing, you know, once I closed up their apartment, I think is when it really hit me that, you know, they weren't coming back and how devastating this was. But also, I didn't have a place to go every day anymore, so I had a lot of time to sit around and think only about that. Yes. I wonder whether part of the trauma and the distress of those months was not just losing to such close friends, but the sudden slamming up into your face of the reality of the fleeting and frail nature of life. Exactly. And and also thinking that you have this situation that is pretty much foolproof. I mean, if you've worked for John F. Kennedy Jr., you know, there's not a lot you're not going to be able to do. I mean, you have all these doors open for you and you now I used to think, well, even if I didn't stay here forever, I'd get a great reference from him, and he'd help me get a job somewhere. And and suddenly, my best reference was unfortunately dead. You know, it was awful. How did you finally make it back out then? I didn't know what I wanted to do, and and, and I this piece of advice that I give to anyone who says I don't know what I want to do um, for a living, I say try, you have to try things. Just try things. You're not going to figure it out sitting around thinking about it. You have to actually go and try things, and there are things you might not like, and there are things you might like more and less, and you might end up in a situation you never thought you would like or be in. I tried a lot of different things, and then I finally came to the conclusion that um, I would try to start my own thing, because there really wasn't any one person that I wanted to work for after job. And you end up on Broadway producing a show that got rave reviews. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, I did. Um, that was kind of a, you know, a friend of mine is an actress. She had done a reading of this of this play, and she was reading it over, uh, I think it was Labor Day weekend, and she was like, you have to read this, and so I did, and it was such an amazing script. A friend of mine was Robert De Niro's assistant at the time, 
Robin, and I said, you know, there's got to be a way we can do this. Got it. We thought at first we thought we were going to do it as a movie, and then it just couldn't be that until it was a play. And then I mean, it took us a few years to get it mounted, but once we did, it was just the most gratifying thing ever because Broadway is not an easy place. No. Not an easy place to be. <laughs> no. So after the intervening years beyond John and Carolyn's death, how do you now reflect mm -hmm. back both on them and the relationship that you had? Well, I think what I learned, I mean, I think having had that much um, experience, that kind of an experience so young and then having that much loss so young, instead of it being a negative, it becomes a positive in that you have a, more of a perspective on things and how, you know, nothing's forever. It's all on loan for all of us. I mean, none of us can ever really live in the moment as we'd love to and take every moment and, and make it precious because we, we, we're human and we live our lives. But I think it's given me a perspective on, you know, what things are, are very important and what things are not. I had to grow up a lot faster than I would have liked to, but it's overall a positive thing. Rosemary Terenzio, thank you so much indeed for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much for having me. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.